This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. Shana Tova, Gmar Chasimatova. It is the Jewish year 5784. We are in the middle of the 10 days of repentance, the Aserisimei Tshuva, leading up to Yom Kippur, leading up to the holiday of Sukkot. It is a time of awe. It is a time of joy. It's an awesome, awesome time of year. And I'm glad that you're tuning in. And I'm glad that I get to share some inspiring words with you all. I hope words that will be inspiring to you during this special time. And just to share with you a little bit of what's on my mind, what I'm thinking about this time of year. I hope that you've been enjoying the guests that we've had over the last few weeks that have really, for me, helped me prepare for the high holidays with so many beautiful thoughts about change, about tshuva, about consciousness. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. And I hope that you're enjoying all of it. I'd love to hear all of your feedback. A few people reached out to me before Shoshana told me how the podcast has enhanced their year. And I love it. And I love you guys for that. So thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being with me on this journey. Also, Great podcast episode this time last year with Rabbi Yaakov Haber. Go back if you haven't listened to that one. It's a great podcast that talks about the connection between the Aseres Yemei Tshuva, the 10 Days of Repentance, and the 10 Kabbalistic Sfirot. Very, very fascinating stuff. But for today, my focus for today is I want to share with you some thoughts that are on my mind about overall looking from a high level at this time of year, the trifecta, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Sukkot. Three holidays, pretty much back to back to back, all within the month of Tishrei. And this is not just a result of bad planning. This is not just a a result of like, you know, you just started your new job in September or or you you just started a new course. You just enrolled in school and now suddenly you're taking all these days off. Although I think this year it actually works out pretty well. A lot of weekends. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to have so many holidays back to back to back. But yet they're so closely related. They work off of each other in such a powerful way. And what I want to talk about and this is just a short solo episode today, is how do we see these three holidays working together? How does Yom Kippur build off of Rosh Hashanah? How does Sukkot build off of Yom Kippur? You know, this time of year, I'm always on a campaign, especially because a lot of the students that come to my in-person classes, a lot of them, uh, you know, they're they're in the game for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, but then when it comes Sukkot, they kind of, you know, fade away a little bit. It's not necessarily as much on the radar of the, you know, American Jew who's kind of hanging on by a thread. And I'm always on this campaign because to me, like, Sukkot, Sukkot, this is like Zman Simchatenu. This is the time of our joy. This is the most joyous time of year. This is the celebration. This is literally the joy festival, the music festival. Those of you who've been in Israel, you know, seven days of just eight, and then Simchat Torah after that, right? Seven, eight days of just rocking, singing, dancing. It's amazing. It's an amazing time of year. It is the celebration that comes after the intense days of awe. If you haven't 
cried your way into the book of life, then come Sukkot and you can dance your way into the book of life. If you haven't gotten into the book of life through awe of God and the days of awe, then you can get in on Sukkot with the days of love. So these days are, are very, very powerful and really work well together. So what I'd like to focus on today in this podcast is understanding that connection between these three, how these three work together, and to share with you many, many ideas about this holiday season that I think you will be able to put into practice. Okay, so let's take a look at this from a couple of different angles. The The first angle of seeing this trifecta of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, is that it corresponds to our own personal growth, our own perfection in three different areas, mind, heart, body. Mind, heart, body is the formula that represents wholeness inside of us because we have our inner world, we have our outer world. Our inner world is the world of the decisions and the thoughts and the perspectives and the struggles that happen inside of us. And then our outer world is how we show up. So on our inner world, we always have this, uh, let's call it for now, this tension between mind and heart, between intellect and emotion that uh, can often drive us in different places. Each one has its own challenges. And I want to reach mastery in the realm of thought to learn how to think straight, think properly, use my mind in the right way, use, access the full power of my mind. And then there's heart, there's the emotions, and there's the things that I feel, which may or may not be in sync with my mind and the way that I think. So that's the that's what's going on in my inner world. And then there is my body, and that is the external world, how I show up to the world. What are the things that I portray, that I give, that I broadcast to the world? So Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot correspond to this, that other trifecta of mind, heart, body. Let's see this in action. It should be your will, Hashem, that the year should be sweet like honey, all of those sorts of things. When we say those things, what we're really doing is we're trying to set our focus. Where the focus goes, the energy flows, right? We're trying to set our focus on certain things because if we believe it, if we think it, then we manifest it. Listen to old podcasts that we've spoken about, this, the idea of manifestation, and that there is tremendous power to how we think. So Rosh Hashanah is about shifting mindset. The whole idea of shofar, which we'll speak about a little bit more in a couple of minutes, but the whole idea of shofar, that it comes from the head of an animal, like the crown of the animal. You know, we have we have challah that is shaped round in Rosh Hashanah because it's like the crown that's put on the head. So the symbolism we see very, very strongly in Rosh Hashanah that is focused on, on, on the head, on mindset. But to scratch the surface and go a little bit deeper, Something that I pointed out in my Rosh Hashanah talks that I gave in Rosh Hashanah, we had a beautiful Rosh Hashanah over here in the greater Washington area with really brought together all sorts of of Jews. It was so wonderful. We had religious and not religious and Ashkenazim and Spartim. And we had a a group of girls coming from Lakewood. It was just like a, just a fascinating, fascinating mix of all different sorts of Jews coming together to celebrate. And one of the things that I mentioned, one of the things that I spoke about is that we can get very caught up on Rosh Hashanah on just asking for the things that we need. Hashem, I want this this year, and I want that this year, and our whole wish list. But yet, 
we look at the actual machzor, the actual Rosh Hashanah prayers, the ones that our sages so eloquently put together. Our sages do such a beautiful, creative, poetic job at putting together the most magnificent prayers that capture the essence of the day. And through their words, we can really channel our attention and know what we should be focusing on. And if you take a look at the prayers, what is the theme of the day? The theme of the day is painting this picture of this utopian world that's going to be in the future, that Judaism has always believed is going to be in the future. One of Malchus Hashem, one of God's kingship, one of the whole world realizing the oneness of God, the getting to the, of, of unifying the world, unifying Aguda Achas, one unit going along the same lines to serve God, righteous people dancing. I mean, it's really, it's a picture of this euphorian world. And it's so different than what we might get caught up on Rosh Hashanah, and that is just, you know, all of the little, Hashem, I want this, I want that. And an anecdote that I share that I love is this fellow comes to his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, teach me happiness. Teach me how to be happy. Rabbi says, okay. He says, follow me. And he brings him to this beautiful garden, beautiful garden with you know, flowers and you know, all sorts of beautiful scenery. And he says, listen, I want you to walk down the following path. However, here, and he gives him, and I'm animating this a little bit more than the way I heard it, but just for, just for fun and just for the effect, he gives him a bowl and he puts in the bowl, he fills it up with chicken soup, a whole full bowl of chicken soup, puts in a nice little a matzah ball, he puts in a little luxion, some noodles in there, some, some veggies, put a little croutons on the top, and like this bowl is overflowing. He says, I want you to walk down this path and make sure not to spill a drop of soup. The guy says, okay, I'm up for the challenge. He takes the chicken soup, and now he's walking through, he's walking down the path, and he's being very, very careful that he doesn't spill a drop of the chicken soup. He comes out on the other side of the garden and the rabbi says, Kate, tell me about the garden. Tell me about the flowers. Tell me about the scenery. Tell me. And he says, well, <laughs> you think I was able to concentrate on all that? Like I was busy just trying not to spill my soup. The rabbi says, oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but you got to pay attention to the garden. Go back and pay attention to the garden. So he does the whole thing again. He walks through the garden and this time he comes out on the other side. He can tell you all about the garden, but he spilled his soup. So the rabbi says, the key to true happiness in life is learning how to not lose focus about the garden that you're in, but also learn how to not spill your chicken soup. And uh, it's, it's, it's a cute anecdote, and I'm sure that you figured out what, it, what is the parable. And that is that our whole life, right, we're trying to just like not spill the soup. You know, we have all these things, you know, we have our relationships and our, our parents and our spouses and our children and our friends and our social life and our professional life and our spiritual life and all these different things. That's just our bowl of chicken soup. And we can be so locked in on just not spilling our soup, just trying to keep it all together, that we lose sight of the beauty of the world that is around us of everything that's going on. Well, the other option is not great either, right? We need to value those things. We need to try to not spill the soup. Obviously, that's the goal of life is we are trying to juggle all of these things. So we need to find that proper balance between, yes, focusing on our specific our specific, the world around us, the, the immediate world around us, but also keep an eye on where we fit in to this bigger picture. 
And Rosh Hashanah is a big picture day. Rosh Hashanah is a day of stepping out of my chicken soup, <laughs> as funny as that sounds, and really focusing on the garden. Where are we? And, and this is something that I spoke about both days of Rosh Hashanah. And that is like, you know, if you would have told me a year ago this time, if someone would have said the words chat GPT a year ago, like, I don't know about you, you know, I wouldn't have known what, what they were talking about. Even artificial intelligence was like a concept that I had heard about, but it wasn't something on my mind. It wasn't something that people were talking about. I was looking back at the podcasts and how many different guests I had on the podcast that brought up artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence. It's like, it's a conversation. And it's almost creating an existential, I don't want to say crisis, an existential question as to who we are as human beings now that like what does it mean to be a sentient human being now that we have robots that that are stronger than us that are smarter than us that can do so many things that you used to think oh this is what it means to be human human beings we're sophisticated human beings right can lift things human beings can do math and now computers can do everything better so that's one major trend that to me was a was a was an important trend to look back at the year and be like okay where are we as a human race compared to a year ago you know the pre artificial intelligent world versus the uh, developing artificial intelligent world but then to counteract that i believe that there's a second fascinating trend and again i'm just looking back at my podcasts just to see like the discussions that i've been having and that is what I call the consciousness revolution. Take a look at what's happening. More than ever before, just simple, regular people, Americans, American Americans, right, are like, I'm into meditation. I'm into mindfulness. I'm into yoga. I'm into breath work. I'm into ketamine therapy. I'm going to this ceremony. I'm going to that ceremony. I'm doing a cacao ceremony, right? All, all sorts of ways where we're looking back and we're trying to embrace ancient practices, things that, you know, several years ago were for the hippies and for the crazies. And now it's like part of the conversation. You know, I, I mentioned this on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, but like, it's a typical question. You know, it used to be two guys meet each other at the gym, you know, two ripped guys. And they're like, yo, what are you benching? Like, what, what do you bench? What do you, how many reps could you do? And now conversations between people are like, like, what's your practice? What are you practicing? Oh, oh, you, you journal. Oh, you go on long walks. Oh, you do yoga, right? We're, we're in the world is into consciousness. So on the one hand, we have over here this trend of like artificial intelligence, robots are taking over the world. And it's causing us panic and anxiety. And then on the other hand, we're becoming so much more conscious. We're becoming so much more aware that one second, we're bigger than all that. We're not just beings that were valuable before robots, but now robots are taking over the world, right? But no, actually, there's a whole nother part of us. There's a higher part of us. Our minds go so much deeper. We didn't even know this in the past because we were so busy we were so busy making a living. We were so busy trying to be strong and trying to be smart that we didn't even realize that we're actually so much deeper, so much more fascinating. We were built for so much more than just entering things into QuickBooks. So these are major trends in the world that we have to look back and we have to see and we have to ask ourselves, where are we in this journey of humankind? Where are we in this journey of human evolution? I mentioned the very famous Zohar 
written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai over 2,000 years ago. He's discussing the generation of the flood, the story in the Torah of Noah and the flood, where the entire world was wiped out by a flood and only Noah remains. And he says he sees deep secrets in the generation of the flood. The Torah speaks about how the water came from heavens and it says how the windows of heaven opened up for the rain to pour down and the water from the depths, the lower waters, came shooting upwards. And the Zohar calls that opening of the gates of wisdom. Meaning the way Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the great mystic Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, understood that, that generation, they were so creative, they were so innovative, they were introducing all of these new inventions into the primitive world. And their wisdom got the best of them. That wisdom could have been used for them to learn about themselves, to learn about consciousness. It says that that generation was a generation that was destined to receive the Torah. But because they corrupted their ways, they got into all sorts of promiscuity and all sorts of evil ways. And God wipes them out with a flood. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai says that as we get closer and closer and closer towards the year 6,000, which the Talmud says that our this whole post-Adam and Eve Garden of Eden struggle is going to be done by the year 6,000, right? And again, it, it seems so real to us now because we're seeing the world is just going into crazy, magical, beautiful places. And by 6,000, the world will be in this place of higher consciousness. And he says, how will you know that that is coming? Because there will be a flood coming from the lower waters and a flood coming from the upper waters. The lower waters are the waters of science. The upper waters are the waters of spirituality. And here we are, we're entering into an age where we're suddenly seeing that this whole tension between science and spirituality, and you were spiritual, but you weren't scientific, you were into science, then you deny spirituality, and now like it's all one thing. We're entering into a world where medicine and psychology and spirituality, these are not three different things anymore. In a decade from now, right, you're not going to go to like a medical doctor and then a psychologist and then a rabbi. It's all going to have to be one thing because we're seeing the holisticness. Is that a word? I don't know. The holisticness of the human being. We're seeing how everything is connected. The body keeps the score. How many times is that, that mentioned on this podcast, right? The body keeps the score. That means that the highest place of your mind, your the highest point of your consciousness is connected to the little krechts that you're feeling in your back, right? Because you're, you're, you're stressed. Everything, everything is working together. The lower waters and the upper waters are meeting each other. And on Rosh Hashanah, we take a look, we track that. I think there's something so beautiful about the symbol of the shofar. We know that the shofar, the breath of the shofar, represents the breath of life that God breathed into Adam on this day of Rosh Hashanah. And we know now more and more and more the power of the breath. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, I've been speaking a little bit about some of the breath work that I've been working on. And the breath is so powerful because we breathe in, and once we breathe in all the oxygen, it oxygenates our, our blood, and it goes to our mind, and it creates more synergy between our limbic system and our prefrontal cortex, and now we're able to deal with past trauma, but we're able to deal with it in a more conscious way. It's fascinating stuff. And suddenly we can have these mind-blowing experiences just through our breath. And then I hear the sound of the chauffeur, and it's the breath going in. And it coming out the top like a mind-blowing experience. As it's Kia, one powerful blast, or the broken Trua, which is almost like all the trauma that's there in our brain, we're sort of blowing it out. 
We're having this mind-blowing experience, this trauma release. 5,784 years of built-up trauma from being kicked out of Garden of Eden. And now the sound of the shofar is, I'm letting go of all of that and I'm coming home. So Rosh Hashanah is very much focused on the power of the mind, of locking in, of focusing on what are my goals, what are my vision, what is my mission, and how does it fit into this overall story of humankind. Yes, I'm focusing on my chicken soup, but I'm asking myself how it fits into this big, beautiful garden, this big story, this big master plan that I'm walking through. And once we've mastered the power of our mind, now we get to Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is much more of an emotional day. The symbolism of Yom Kippur of saying vidoy, of saying the confession. And every single time we do it, we clench our fists, and we tap on our heart. We tap on our heart and then we sing the vidoy. We sing it in such a beautiful tone. Oshamnu, Bogadnu, right? Such a soft tone. Because Yom Kippur is about compassion. Yom Kippur is about coming home. Yom Kippur is very personal. Yom Kippur is a reminder that we have a deep connection with Hashem that is much more emotional. Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, accepting ourselves, forgiving others, accepting others. Hashem forgiving us, us forgiving Hashem back and forth. Coming to terms with what our relationship, what our personal relationship is with Hashem. Not as much Rosh Hashanah as being sort of the global vision, even though we do say those things also in our prayers, but it's much more focused on putting back the pieces together with our own relationship with God. But once we understand how we fit into the master plan that happens in Rosh Hashanah, then we're able to come in with so much more wisdom and so much more compassion and so much more acceptance and so much more patience on Yom Kippur because we see, we see I'm, I'm part of something. I'm part of this big story. And the story didn't start with me. And the pain that I'm feeling and the struggles that I'm going through, right? It's not all about me. It's because I'm part of a story. And, and, and who knows what I'm carrying on my shoulders? And I'm, I'm 5,784 years into the story. And, and, and all of my struggles and all of my pain is somehow connected to that. And therefore, let me approach Yom Kippur. Let me approach God understanding that there's so, that I'm part of this mystery. There's so much that I don't know. And therefore, I need to accept myself in my struggle. I need to accept myself in my pain because I realize that I'm part of that story. So Yom Kippur completes Rosh Hashanah because whereas Rosh Hashanah plugs me into the big master plan, Yom Kippur allows me more to focus on myself and to remind myself that I'm here on a mission. I was given a set of struggles. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm here as a soul dressed in white, completely pure. Neshama, shenasatabi tahorahi. I'm coming in my white kittle, my white clothing to show that this is what I am. I am a soul that was put here in a body, in a vehicle with a set of struggles. And my job is to do my best to navigate through this. 
to ultimately not to get too dirty in this limited amount of time that I'm here and then return my soul to the next world where, where it will once again be white and fresh and clean again. Like Rabbi Nachman says, the famous story where Rabbi Nachman says, I'm at the end of my life and I'm not afraid. I'm just excited to take off my dirty clothing and put on nice new white ones in the next world. So Yom Kippur is that day of heart, Yom Kippur is that day of emotion. It's through that lens that I forgive. It's through that lens that I accept. It's through that lens that I atone, right? Atonement is at one mint. I become at one with myself. I become at one with the world around me. And then I enter into Sukkot. Sukkot is body. We know that the sukkah itself is one of the only mitzvahs where I enter into the mitzvah. I'm surrounded by the mitzvah. Everything that I do is part of the mitzvah. I eat, I sleep, I schmooze, I play chess, whatever it is. I'm part of the mitzvah. The mitzvah engulfs me. The famous Arizal that says that the three walls of the sukkah, the minimum uh, size of a sukkah is two full walls and a little bit, and that represents a hug, so bringing someone closer. It's a very physical physical experience. I feel hugged by God. The sukkah is one big hug from Hashem, one big hug from God. You did it. You made it through a Yom Kippur. Now, come on, give me a hug. And uh, when we take the four species, the four species also, the lulav, the palm branch, the hadasim, the myrtle branch, the arava, the willow, the esrog, the citron fruit, when we take it, we know that aside from all of the deep Kabbalistic ideas behind it, but there's very a simple symbolism that is brought down by our commentaries, and that is the lulav is like the spine, and the, the leaves of the hadas are shaped like eyes, and the leaves of the arava are shaped like lips, and the esrog is like the heart. And bringing all of these together, again, these all correspond to different parts of the body. To show that Sukkot is a celebration, now that I have done the internal work, now I can enter into the world. And really, the Sukkah represents our whole world. The entire world is one big Sukkah. It's one big playground to get closer to God. The schach, the roof of the sukkah, needs to be something where I can see the sky, a constant reminder that I am plugged in, that I am connected. And that when I'm plugged in, I don't really live in two different worlds. There's not this world and the next world, but I'm constantly bringing in the upper world into my world. I'm seeing every experience in my life as being something that is holy and something that is magical. So Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, mind and heart and body. Okay, so I know that we're going long over here, but I just want to share with you one or two more angles of how to see this time of year because it all fits together so beautifully. So very quickly, let me download a little bit more on you so you see how it all fits together. There's another approach to the entire holiday season. The entire holiday season, when I mean holiday season, I don't only mean Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, Sukkot, but I mean everything, the entire seven months that begins with Pesach, Shavuot, and then we go into the summer and then Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, Sukkot. And the commentaries see that actually it's one journey, one journey that takes you from Pesach to Sukkot. And it parallels the cycle of life. Pesach was the birth of the Jewish people. And therefore, the first step in the life cycle is birth. Just like the first step in our spiritual life cycle is spiritual birth, an awakening. After a child is born, so now it just takes a little time for them to learn kind of some of the basics. But that first major milestone in their life is their bar bat mitzvah. So shavuos, shavuot which is the time that the Jewish people received the Torah, that corresponds to the bar bat mitzvah, 
of a person's life. Or in your spiritual journey, that time that you really fully assert yourself, commit yourself to a spiritual practice. So Shavuot <clears throat> corresponds to Barbat Mitzvah. I would like to suggest perhaps that the summer, which is several months where nothing much happens from the Torah perspective, but from a rabbinic perspective, we have fast, two fast days during that time. And you know what? That probably does correspond to the teen years. We know that being a teen, it's getting harder and harder. Nobody wants to be a teen these days, right? It's really hard. A lot of stress. In, in, in some ways, it's a beautiful time in one's life, but it's also a confusing time in one's life. And maybe the summer months that don't have any biblical holidays, but do have these fast days correspond to this pain of transition that happens when one is a teen. But then it comes the next milestone as a person becomes an adult and they look to fall in love and they look to find someone to build their life with. And comes the month of Elul, the month of Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. I am my beloved and my beloved is to me. The month that corresponds in the zodiac sign to Virgo. This whole idea that this is sort of that time of life when a person is looking for love. And in the spiritual journey of a person, we know that in their young adulthood, a person is also discovering, discovering God in a new way. You leave home for the first time, young person goes to Israel, and suddenly they're falling in love with spirituality in a whole new way. And then comes the season of Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and listen to how beautifully this fits to what we just said before about mind, heart, body. Because when it is time to make the commitment to the person that we love and we say, I want to build a life with you. So how do we want to make that decision? Well, we can make that decision based on physical attraction. That's not a great way to make the decision. Even the whole idea of falling in love, even when the emotional connection is too strong and it doesn't allow us to see clearly, to use our mind clearly, that's also not good. We want it to be a decision that is very much mind, heart, body. Mind, I know that you're for me. Heart, I feel emotionally connected to you. Body, now we could unite as one body. That's what the Torah says. Husband and wife become one body. So we want it to be a mind-heart-body connection rather than what we see you know, in, 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 the, in the Hollywood world where it's body, ooh, wow, she's so attractive, he's so attractive, right? And, then, and they're connecting on a body level and then hoping that the other things are going to come along. We want it to be mind-heart-body. So now comes along Rosh Hashanah, which is that initial engagement, that initial kedushin, that initial betrothal, the decision that says, I want to be with you. Engagement. We know that on the day of a wedding, the chatan, vikala, the groom and the bride are forgiven on the day of their wedding. It's a total rebirth. That's why we know that there's the custom to go to the mikvah and to say vidoy. It's like, it's like a mini Yom Kippur. So whereas Rosh Hashanah corresponds to the engagement, Yom Kippur is the day of the wedding, the day when everything is forgiven, the day of rebirth. And then that night, the night of the wedding, they stand under the chuppah, right? The sukkah that we sit in on the holiday of sukkahs represents the chuppah, the canopy, the wedding canopy. And what do we do for the next week after a bride and groom get married? We dance for seven days. We have seven days of Sheva Brachot, a celebration every single night where we say seven blessings to the bride and the groom every single night. 
And that's what happens during the holiday of Sukkot is the seven-day celebration. So the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot combination corresponds to wedding season. Engagement, that's Rosh Hashanah. Day of the wedding, which is all about forgiveness, that's Yom Kippur. Standing under the chuppah, that's the beginning of Sukkot. And then the seven days of dancing that comes after that. That is another angle of how Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot fit together. Another one, very quickly. Rosh Hashanah, we crown God as our king. Melech. Yom Kippur, we look towards God as a compassionate parent. Kirachim of Albanim, like a parent is compassionate on, on their children. On Sukkot, we look at Hashem as a lover. Moving into the Sukkot together. Hashem, we're moving in together. Three different ways of relating to God. And finally, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Every step of our journey begins with an excitement. I'm awake. I'm awake. I want something more out of life, right? I, I'm, I'm inspired to do something. I'm inspired to be something. Second stage, after I'm inspired is, now comes the hard work. Now comes the contemplation. Now comes the introspection. Now comes the tears. Rosh Hashanah, sound of the chauffeur, waking up. Right, it's my alarm clock. I'm up. I'm awake. Yom Kippur is a time of tears. It's a time of contemplation. That's the second step. And then the third step on every spiritual journey is once I've worked through it, once I've worked hard, now I come out on the other side and I'm and 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 I can feel the joy of true growth. You know, like in a marriage, you're excited when you stand under under the chuppah, and then you go through a time of really learning each other, and it's painful. And then you have your 20, 20th anniversary, 25th anniversary, 30th anniversary, and you're suddenly like, this is so much better than I could have ever imagined if you did your work properly. Sukkot is that celebration that comes at the end. May we make the most out of these holidays, every single one, extract everything that we can, realize that the journey from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Sukkot is a microcosm of our journey, be it the mind, heart, body, be it the cycle of life, be it the different relationships with God, whatever it is, it's meant to give us the full experience of our journey. There are so many lessons and we have to not lose focus. Focus on your chicken soup, but don't lose sight of the fact that you're, we're part of this big, beautiful picture. And Jewish practice teaches us exactly how to access that in the most precise and perfect way. Wishing everyone a Gemar Chatima Tova. May you be sealed in the book of life, the book of joy, the book of peace, sending out all of all the blessings, all the blessings to you wherever you are. And uh, let me know how you're doing. Let me know if you enjoyed the podcast. I'd love to hear what's on your mind. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.